And welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. I'm your host, Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And uh, wow, uh, been a break here um, since I think uh, August was the last we had a show, um, skipped the entire month of September. Um, I wish I could tell you why. It has been for only the greatest of reasons. Um, at two weeks of that month break was uh, 10 hour plus days recording the most epic audio drama production that uh, may ever be released, at least in uh, my lifetime. We'll see if we ever get to top this, but it is a most amazingly fantastic production, and I can't even tell you anything about it. Um, it's that big, but hopefully uh, you will be hearing all about it. Um, it's supposed to be released possibly as early as Christmas, if not early next year, and when you hear about it, you'll understand why it is such a big deal, but I apologize that Radio Drum Revival has uh, sort of gone quiet while that's all been happening. Um, yes and no, however. So, you know, with this new major opportunity, uh, I'm at a sort of a crossroads here with Radio Drum Revival, have been running the show for seven years plus, um, have loved this run. It has been so much fun to be sharing all these stories with you. Uh, but it's at elsewhere else at a point where the show is starting to sort of outgrow itself while not really, you know, taking care of itself. So for instance, uh, you know, you may have noticed that it's become slower and harder to get a hold of the show. Uh, we're, you know, struggling with our hosting company. We need to really upgrade the hosting, but I don't have the money to do that. Um, I also feel like we need more voices and more uh, choice amongst the programming out there. And I'd like to bring on some guest hosts, um, but I can't really find anyone or not comfortable asking people to do so for free. Um, And so really... Honestly, uh, we're looking at going dark at the end of this month, uh, no October 2014, unless we can make something happen. So here is the challenge I'm putting to you, loyal Radio Drama Revival listeners. Um, if you go to Kickstarter, um, I'll put a link on the show notes. There's a Save Radio Drama Revival Kickstarter going on. Uh, the goal is to raise $1,000. Um, that will give us a fairly healthy uh, budget to last through the next year. Um, if that happens, Radio Drum Revival is going to continue on and be uh, bigger and greater than ever. If it doesn't happen, Radio Drum Revival is going to have a killer end <laughs> at October 31st, 2014. I will not leave you hanging in the height of uh, Audio Horror Month, but um, at that point, you know, we, we are going to go on hiatus um, since it's not really a financially sustainable operation. It, you know, it doesn't need to make a ton of money, but it needs to at least pay for itself, and I'm hoping... Uh, based on the number of people who actually listen to the show, that that can happen. So this means you. Um, there are a handful of you awesome people out there who've contributed over the years. Thank you. Um, and for those of you who haven't, who do like this show, but, uh, you know, haven't, you know, donated over the years, you know, I don't blame you. I know what it's like. Uh, and, and so many places out there are asking for money, but this is for real. Uh, Radio Run Revival will come to an end at the end of October unless we get thousand uh, dollars in the bank to sort of uh, plush us up and make more shows happen so not to make it an ultimatum but it's an ultimatum <laughs> all right people uh we're gonna get on to the stories though um today we have a double feature of my own work final room productions uh three skeleton key and sorry wrong number two classic radio plays that we recreated 
on location with Mad Horse Theater Company back in 2009. Um, I'm going to spend October picking some of my absolute favorite uh, horror pieces through the years. So if this does for some reason end up being our last month, uh, it'll be a bang. So here we go. We're going to start off with three skeleton keys, sorry, wrong number, and then much more uh, through the month of October here in Raid Drum Revival. Thank you. Final Room Productions presents, in collaboration with Mad Horse Theatre Company, Three Skeleton Key by George Tudors, adapted for radio by James Poe. Picture this place. A gray, tapering cylinder welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself. A bare black rock, 150 feet long, maybe 40 feet wide. And that's at low tide. At high tide, just the light, rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water, gray, green, scum-dappled, warm as soup, and swarming with gigantic bat-like devilfish. Great violet schools of Portuguese man-of-war and, yes, sharks. The big ones, the 15-footers. And if this wasn't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland. A wind that smelled like death. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door. And in you went. And up. Yes, up and up, round and round, past the tanks of oil and coils of rope, cases of wicks, racks of lanterns, sacks of spuds and cartons and cans, and up and up and up, round and round. Over the light storeroom was the food storeroom, and over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept, and over the bunk room was the living and cooking room, and over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty. Balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of a rotary mechanism. At night, you'd lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with the light revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, using her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there watching to see that the feeders kept working, that everything ran right. It wouldn't be bad. The other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind, and it wouldn't be bad. About those other two, Louis and Auguste? <laughs> what a pair. Louis, he was head man, was a big fellow from the Basque country. Black beard, little hard black eyes, and a pair of arms that, I tell you, those arms were as big around as my legs. Yes, head man he was, and what word he let go was law. Silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation, the most I could ever get out of him was, John, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. You're getting to be as bad as Auguste. I thought maybe for once they'd send me somebody who could keep his mouth shut. That was Louis, and when he accused me of becoming like Auguste, I quieted down, because Auguste was the talkingest man I ever met. The talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. 
It seems he'd been an actor in Paris. Played in over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Guignol. Oh, but it was monstrous, horrible, the way we used to scare the audience. I, I was hated. Yes, yes. Oh, they used to throw things and hiss and bare their teeth at me. Oh, finally it got too bad. I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand. Yes, I gave it up completely. I really did. I, I couldn't stand it a moment longer. It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent combers and the big yellow stars, when out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second, something the light had touched far off. I waited for her to come around again, and when she did, there it was, a three-master, a big one, about a half mile off, coming down out of the north-northwest, coming straight for us. You must understand, our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and the ships kept clear, but this one, this sailing vessel was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled down, Louis! Louis! Huh? What is it? Ship headed for the reefs! I'm coming right up. I had the glasses out now. I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set, the foam creaming away under her bow, her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guessed her. But why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day. Ship? Where? North, northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Yeah. Well, can't she see us? Well, look at her. She just keeps coming on. The square heads. What is it? What is it? Watch, north, northwest. Ah, I know. I know what it is. What? The Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman. We did a play about her once. Oh, what a performance. You ghastly galleon, Hagrid and cursed driven must drive on. Oh, on. shut up, will you? Yeah, she's luffing. Yes. It's a sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned. Crew left her for some reason or another. But instead of sinking, she's gone on running before every wind. Oh, she'll not run long, not with those reefs to break her up. A beautiful ship. Now why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. But as we waited for the crash, she luffed again, caught some odd gusts and went about. We watched her the rest of those black hours, heeling and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief. She doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? Mm. This is impossible. Absolutely impossible. What? Here, take my glasses. They're better than yours. All right. Was it your... I had to focus. And then my breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet that looked like a gigantic fungus, but undulating. And on the masts and yards, the guys and all were hundreds, no thousands, no... I, I don't know. In an estimable number of... Tremendous rats. See them? Yes, I see them. Now we know why she's derelict. Yes, now we know. Hey, what are you two doing, eh? Oh, here, let me have a look. Yes, give him the glasses. Take a good look, chatterbox. Give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. If she's going to turn, she better turn soon. Suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's low tide. Yes, yes it is. 
Well, where's all the conversation, August? Huh? Here, you want the glasses again? You want another look? No, 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 no. She's still coming on. No, go away, go away. Turn, will you? Turn, I say. I pray you turn. Cracked up. Oh, the rats look on the water like a carpet. They're swimming. Sure, they're swimming. Those are ship's rats. But they're swimming for the rocks. The door below, it's open. Huh? Well, uh, come on. Yes. And down we went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three, four at a time. Scared? You bet we were scared. August, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb, we don't know. Right, Chief, but hurry, hurry! Look at them. You see them? No. Oh, yes I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at them. Millions. Ah, they smell us. Here they come. Well, close the door! I can't, it's... Doc! Here, let me... Ah, made it! Holy, that was close. Look, one got in, look there! Well, get him! Watch it! Kick him! What a brute! Uh, he was big as a tomcat. Bigger, and his eyes were wild and red. His teeth, long and sharp and yellow. He went for a starving, ravenous, and we fought him. Fought that one rat all over the room. It was... Believe me, I don't exaggerate. It was like fighting a panther. I got it. We better get aloft. Yeah. As we ran up the winding staircase, we passed the tiny windows of the various levels, and at every one was a thick, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louis, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Oh, will you look at them? Whoa, will you look at them? It's a nightmare. Will you just look at them? The air in the gallery was thick and fetid with the stink of them. The light was dim, brown, filtered through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass all about us. We couldn't see the sky. Nothing. Nothing but them, their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling hairy snouts, and their teeth. The rats, they screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving, and we three... We stood very quietly, oh, very, very quietly in the center of the glass room, under our beautiful light, and we waited. Oh, what can we do? Oh, what can we do, Chief? Take it easy. Take it easy. Oh, I can't. I, I just can't. Won't do any good won't do any good to just stand here and shake. That's right. Go away. Go away, do you hear me? Go away this instant. They won't go away. Not until. Finish it, Chief. Not until what? Not until they've been fed. You can take just so much horror and then get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the glass. They could see us. They could rush at us, but... That thin, invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below, more rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright, tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. If only it drowned some of them. Oh, ship's rats don't drown. <laughs> no, sir, you can't drown one of them. They're all climbing up the tower. This bunch around us is getting thicker. Yeah. Say, what's the time? Quarter to six. You've got first watch, Sean. Right. Wake me at ten. I will. Come along, Auguste. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the rats. Oh, very pretty. I set the wicks, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamp. It caught them. Lift them in their gigantic, wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. 
and then I started the rotary motor. The light drove them mad. As she swung slowly and smoothly about, she blinded them in the fierce stabbing bar of light, moving continually about, ever turning, ever touching, ever moving around and around. And they, twitching and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light, the bright, moving light. And behind, on the dark side of the room, so close, so close, I dared not turn my back. But you can't help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you couldn't see them, but only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank, red lights blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. When I came up into the gallery early the next morning, there stood Auguste, his back to me. He was bowing to the rats, waving his arms and making a speech. Ah, my dear, dear audience, I am going to play once again that magnificent role which made me the toast of the Paris Theater, Prelat, the evil genius of the medieval underworld. <laughs> I am he who did guide the dark soul of De Rochelle into the nether part. <laughs> Do not be frightened, little children. No, I will not hurt you much. <laughs> he kept turning. I stood staring at him, horror-struck. But he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. Auguste! Auguste! Another one, a latecomer. Take a seat on the aisle, dear patron. Auguste, stop it. <laughs> stop it. The bloodstained monster was my partner in iniquity. Together, we disemboweled over 400 little children. But he didn't stop. He went on, bowing and scraping to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arms and slapped his face. He looked at me like a child, and then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below. Go on. Oh, very well, then. Later, my dear audience, later. Matinee today, forget not. <laughs> sure, he was crazy, but I guess we all were. A few hours later, he came back up and caught Louie and me teasing the rats. Yes, sounds horrible. It was fun. We would get up right against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away trying to get at our eyes. Louis was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. <laughs> the rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall the 110 feet to the surf below. Look! Look at the sharks! They're eating them. Those sharks are our friends! Ah! Here! Here! I'll get another bunch together. <laughs> Here, my beauties. Ah, that's it. Pile up. Kill each other, huh? <laughs> there they go. Auguste joined in, too. Very ingenious, Auguste. He learned that if he spread-eagled himself against the glass, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait in rats! It went on all day, and then I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired. I was just beginning to fall off to sleep when I became conscious of a new sound. I couldn't figure it out at first. 
I got up, lit the lamp, and went to the window. Even as I looked out, I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away. Louis, come quick! What? What they, is it? They found a way in! I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy and assured of the success of this maneuver were nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We spread it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, we felt the heavy body thudding against the other side as the window gave way. There! That ought to hold. If it doesn't, we're done for. Rats can't eat tin? No, they can't. What was that? I don't know. It came from below. The storeroom window. They're in. They're swarming up the stairs. Off the trap. Right. Two of them got in. Let's go after this. We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. I left to one side and grabbed a marlin. Like swung and smashed one in midair. Ah! I whirled to see Louis with the other. It had ripped his hand open and the blood was pouring out. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped in, swung, and got him. Oh, my hand! He got my hand! That's both of them, Louis. I'll get you something to tie that up. Blood. Look at it. My blood. I'm bleeding. Don't worry about it, Louis. Here, I'll wind this handkerchief around it. It'll be okay. Blood. There. There. That, that's not bad. It's just the flesh. And then I became conscious of a new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the wood fascinated, and even as I did, it began to give way, and a bristling, whiskery nose shone through. Louis, we, we've got to go up! The next level was the living quarters in the kitchen. I slammed the door, but it too was wood. My blood. What are we going to do? I don't know. They'll be through this one in a minute. The gallery. The trap door in the gallery is metal. Good. Come on. <laughs> Made it. We lay across the trap door, exhausted. While below us, the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather, and all about us the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. My morning the air in the little room was horrible. Until now we've been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off, and so was all our food and water. We lay exhausted, panting, waiting, waiting. The hours crawled on. I was almost dozing from fatigue when I saw a sight that brought me too fast. Would you like to come in, my beauties? Would you? <laughs> I held the powers of life and death, and I can let you in, you know. <laughs> a ghost was standing by the glass, and in one hand, he held a big wrench. He was tapping the glass gently, not quite hard enough to break it. I eased myself to my feet and slowly, very slowly, tiptoed toward him. All I have to do is tap just a little hard. <laughs> Found a coil of wire in the toolkit and I trussed him up. Fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side, looking at his bloody hand, weak and sick as a baby. So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company and all about watching our little drama, The Rats. 
The day dragged by. The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. And we had only one way of summoning them. That was to shoot off distress rockets. But the rockets were four floors below. And even if they had been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. That night I tended the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day we lay thirst-tormented, starving, waiting. And the following night, I again tended the light, but the small supply of spare wicking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted. And quite suddenly, at about midnight, the light went out. There was nothing I could do. Wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing. From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. And when I did, it lit up the million red eyes about us, all about watching, waiting. Below it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out. And now, they too were waiting, all waiting. Then, the rats, quite suddenly, were silent. And then I heard it. And then I saw the sky, and the stars, and the rats were gone. I went to the glass, out there on the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing a few lights, came softly and innocently toward us. Our light was out. They, they didn't know. I, I wanted to open the windows to call out to them, to warn them somehow, but I was afraid. What if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef, not 200 yards from the quay grounded so gently that the man playing the coronet, see a passenger or crewman off watch, didn't even stop playing. I tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising, would have floated her free, and, and I waited. And that's all. That's the story. The sun came up. There wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us. Gone back to sea on their new ship. Auguste? Insane asylum. He never recovered. And Louis? They took him to Cayenne, where he died of blood poisoning from his bite. Yes, that's the whole of it. And if you'll excuse me now, I must go set my traps. <laughs> no, no. Mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse, I should say not. Life in the lights isn't bad. But sometimes... When I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous. Sure. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. Three Skeleton Key was written by George Tudaz and adapted for radio by James Poe. This production was inspired by the classic old-time radio play that aired on Escape. Three Skeleton Key was produced and directed by Fred Greenhalgh, starring Burke Rimmer as Jean, Craig Bowden as Louis, Philip Hobby as Auguste, field recordist Randall Farr, musical score by Barb Truex. This production was recorded on location at Goat Island Lighthouse in Cape Porpoise, Maine, September 2009. Special thanks to the Kennebunkport Conservation Trust and Lighthouse Keepers Scott and Karen for use of the facility. For more information on Final Rune Productions, and to hear our other plays, including more old-time radio plays created in collaboration with Madhorse Theatre Company, please visit our website, www.finalrune.com. 
That's www.finalrune.com. And to learn more about the Mad Horse Theater Company, visit their website, www.madhorse.com. Thanks for listening. All right, that was three skeleton key. May have heard of that one, but we've heard it again. Um, we're following up with Sorry, Wrong Number, another classic radio drum play um, adapted uh, for field recording by yours truly, Fred Greenwich. Here you go. Final Rune Productions presents, in collaboration with the Mad Horse Theater Company, Sorry, Wrong Number by Lucille Fletcher. Your call, please. Operator, I've been dialing Murray Hill 70093 now for the last three quarters of an hour, and the line is always busy. I don't see how it could be busy that long. Will you try it for me, please? I will be glad to try that number for you. One moment, please. I don't see how it could be busy all this time. It's my husband's office. He's working late tonight, and I'm all alone here in the house. My health is very poor. I've been feeling so nervous all day. Ringing, Murray Hill, 70093. Hello. Hello? Hello? Is Mr. Stevenson there? Hello. Hello. Hello, George. Yes, sir. This is George speaking. Hello? Who's this? Uh, what number am I calling, please? I'm here with our client. Oh, good. Is everything okay? Is the coast clear for tonight? Yeah, George. He says the coast is clear for tonight. Okay, okay. Where are you now? In the phone booth. Don't worry. Everything's okay. Very well. You know the address? Yeah, yeah, I know. At 11 o'clock, the private patrolman goes around to the bar on the 2nd Avenue for a beer. That's right. At 11 o'clock. I'll make sure all the lights downstairs are out. There should be only one light visible from the street. Yeah, yeah, I know. At 11.15, a train crosses the bridge. It makes a noise in case her window's open and she should scream. Hello? What number is this, please? Okay, I understand, I tell you. That's 11.15, the train. Yeah. You remember everything else, George? Yeah, yeah, I make it quick. As little blood as possible. <gasps> because <laughs> our client does not wish to make her suffer long. That's right. You'll use a knife? Yes, yes, a knife will be okay. And afterwards, I'll remove the rings and the bracelets and the jewelry in the bureau drawers because... Our client wishes it to look like a simple robbery. <laughs> Don't worry, everything's okay. I never make mistakes. Oh! How awful, how unspeakably awful! <laughs> Your call, please. 
Your call, please. Operator, I've just been cut off. I'm sorry. What number were you calling? Well, it was supposed to be Murray Hill 70093, but it wasn't. Some wires must have crossed. I, I was cut into a wrong number, and I, I, I've just heard the most dreadful thing. Something about a, a, a murder, and... Operator, you simply have to retrace that call at once. I beg your pardon. May I help you? Oh, oh, I know it was a wrong number, and I had no business listening, but these two men, they were cold-blooded fiends, and they were going to murder somebody, some poor, innocent woman who was all alone in a house near a bridge, and we've got to stop them, we've got to... Uh, what number were you calling, please? It doesn't matter. This was a wrong number, and you dialed it for me, and we've got to find out who it was immediately. What number did you call? Oh, why are you so stupid? What time is it? Do you mean to tell me you can't find out what that number was just now? I'll connect you with the chief operator. Oh, I think it's perfectly shameful. Now, now look, look. It was obviously a case of some little slip of the finger. I told you to try Murray Hill 70093 for me. You dialed it, but your finger must have slipped, and I was connected with some other number, and I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. Now, I, I, I simply fail to see why you couldn't make that same mistake again on purpose, why you couldn't try to dial Murray Hill 70093 in the same sort of careless way. Murray Hill 70093? Yes! I'll try to get it for you. Well, thank you. I'm sorry. Murray Hill 70093 is busy. I'll call you in 20 minutes. Operator! 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 Your call, please. You didn't try to get that wrong number at all. I asked you explicitly, and all you did was dial correctly. I'm sorry. What number are you calling? Well... Well, can't you for once forget what number I'm calling and do something for me? Now, I want to trace that call. It's my civic duty, and it's your civic duty to trace that call and to apprehend these dangerous killers, and and if you don't... I will connect you with the chief operator. Please. Oh, oh dear. This is the chief operator. Oh, uh, chief operator... I want you to trace a call, a telephone call, immediately. I don't know where it came from or who was making it, but it's absolutely necessary that it be tracked down because it was about a murder that someone's planning, a a terrible, cold-blooded murder of a poor, innocent woman tonight at 11.15. I see. Well, can you trace it for me? Can you track down those men? I'm not certain. It depends. Depends on what? It depends on whether the call is still going on. If it's a live call, we can trace it on the equipment. If it's been disconnected, we can't. Disconnected? If the parties have stopped talking to each other. Oh, but of course they must have stopped talking to each other by now. That was at least five minutes ago and they didn't sound like the type who would make a long call. Well, I can try tracing it. May I have your name, please? Uh, Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Elbert Stevenson. But listen... And your telephone number, please. Plaza 42295. But if you go on wasting all this time... Why do you want this call traced, please? What? Well, I... No reason... I mean, I I merely felt strongly that something ought to be done about it. These men sounded like killers. They're dangerous. They're going to murder this woman at 11.15 tonight, and I thought the police ought to know. Have you reported this to the police? Well, no, not yet. You want this call checked purely as a private individual? Yes, yes. 
But meanwhile... I'm sorry, Mrs. Stevenson, but I'm afraid we couldn't make this check for you and trace the call just on your say-so as a private individual. We'd have to have something more official. Oh, for heaven's sake! You mean to tell me I can't report that there's going to be a murder without getting all tied up in this red tape? Why, it's perfectly idiotic. Uh, well, all right. I'll call the police. Thank you. I'm sure that would be the best. Uh, ridiculous. Perfectly ridiculous thought of it. I can't see why I have to go through all this trouble. Your call, please. The police department. Get me the police department. Please. Thank you. Dear, do you have to dial? Can't you ring them direct? Ringing the police department. Police Station, Precinct 43, Sergeant Martin speaking. Police Department, uh, th this is Mrs. Stevenson, Mrs. Albert Smythe Stevenson of 53 North Sutton Place. I'm calling up to report a murder. I mean, well, well, the murder hasn't been committed yet, but I just overheard plans for it over the telephone, over a wrong number that the operator gave me. I've been trying to trace down the call myself, but everybody is so stupid, and I guess in the end, you're the only people who can do anything. Yes, ma'am. It was a perfectly definite murder. I heard their plans distinctly. Two men were talking, and they were going to murder some woman at 11.15 tonight. She lived in a house near a bridge. Are, are you listening to me? Uh, yes, ma'am. And there was a private patrolman on the street. He was going to go around for a beer on 2nd Avenue. And there was some third man, a client, who was paying to have this poor woman murdered. They were going to take her rings and bracelets and, and use a, a knife? Well... Well, it's unnerved me dreadfully, and I, I'm not well, and I feel so very nervous. I see. When was all this, ma'am? About eight minutes ago. Then, then you can do something? You do understand. What is your name, ma'am? Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Elbert Stevenson. And your address? Uh, 53 North Sutton Place. 53 North Sutton Place. That's near a bridge. The Queensboro Bridge, you know? And, 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 and we have a private patrolman on our street in 2nd Avenue. And what was that number you were calling? Murray Hill 70093. But that wasn't the number I overheard. I mean, Murray Hill 70093 is my husband's office. He's working late tonight, and I was trying to reach him to ask him to come home. I'm an invalid, you know, and it's the maid's night off, and I hate to be alone, even though he says I'm perfectly safe, as long as I have the telephone right beside my bed. Well, we'll look into it, Mrs. Stevenson, and see if we can check it with the telephone company. But the telephone company said they couldn't check the call if the parties had stopped talking. I've already taken care of that. Oh, you have? Yes. And personally, I feel you ought to do something far more immediate and drastic than just check the call. What good does checking the call do if they've stopped talking? By the time you tracked it down, they'll already have committed the murder. Well, we'll take care of it, don't you worry. Well, I'd say the whole thing calls for a search, a complete and thorough search of the whole city. Now, I'm very near the bridge, and I'm not far from 2nd Avenue, and I know I'd feel a whole lot better if you sent around a radio car to this neighborhood at once. And what makes you think the murder's gonna be committed in your neighborhood, ma'am? Well, I... Oh, I don't know. Only the coincidence is so horrible. Second Avenue, the patrolman, the bridge? Second Avenue is a very long street, ma'am, and you know how many bridges there are in the city of New York alone. Well, yes, I know. Not to mention Brooklyn, Staten Island, Queens, and the Bronx. Well, I know 
that? How do you know there isn't some little house on Staten Island on some little Second Avenue you've never even heard about? How do you know they're even talking about New York at all? Well, but I heard the call on the New York dialing system. Uh, maybe it's a long-distance call you over. I don't think that... Telephones are funny things. Look, lady, why don't you look at it this way? Supposing you hadn't broken in on that telephone call at all. Supposing you had got your husband the way you always do, and you wouldn't be so upset, would you? Well, no, I suppose not. Only it sounded so inhuman, so cold-blooded... A lot of murders are plotted in this city every day, ma'am. We manage to prevent most of them. Well, but... But a clue of this kind is so vague, it isn't much more use of us to no clue at all. Oh, but surely... Uh, Unless, of course, you have some reason for thinking this call was phony and that someone may be planning to murder you. Me? Oh, oh, no. No, I hardly think so. I, I, I mean, why should anybody... I'm alone all day and night. I see nobody except my maid, Eloise, and, and she's a big girl. She weighs 200 pounds. She's too lazy to bring up my breakfast tray, and, uh, well, the only other person is my husband, Albert. He's crazy about me. He, he just adores me. He, he waits on me hand and foot. He's scarcely left my side since I took sick, well, 12 years ago. Well, then there's nothing for you to worry about. Now, if you'll just leave the rest of this to us, we'll take care of it. But what will you do? It's it's so late. It's nearly 11 now. We'll take care of it, lady. Will you broadcast it all over the city and, and send out squads and warn your radio cars to watch out, especially in suspicious neighborhoods like mine? Lady, I said we'll take care of it. Just now I've got a couple of other matters here on my desk that require immediate attention. Good night, ma'am, and thank you. Oh, you... you... Oh, idiot! Oh, now why did I hang up the phone like that? He'll think I'm a fool! Oh, why doesn't Albert come home? Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he come home? Your call, please. Operator, for heaven's sake, will you ring that Murray Hill 70093 number again? I can't think what's keeping him so long. I will try it for you. Try Try. I don't see why he doesn't answer it. I'm sorry. Murray Hill 70093 is busy. I, I wanted to hear that. You don't have to tell me. I know it's busy. <laughs> oh, if I could only get out of this bed for a little while. If I could get a breath of fresh air just to lean out the window and see the street. Oh. Hello, Albert? Hello? 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 Oh, what's the matter with this phone? Hello? Hello? Oh. Oh. Hello? Hello? Oh, for heaven's sake, who is this? Hello? 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 Who's oh. trying to call me? I... Your call, please. Hello, operator. I don't know what's the matter with this telephone tonight, but it's positively driving me crazy. I've never seen such inefficient, miserable service. Now, now look, look, I am an invalid, and I'm very nervous, and I'm not supposed to be annoyed, but if this keeps on much longer, I... What seems to be the trouble, please? Everything's wrong. I, I haven't had one bit of satisfaction out of one call I've made this evening. The whole world could be murdered for all you people care. And, and now my phone keeps ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing every five seconds. And when I pick it up, there's no one there. I'm sorry. If you'll hang up, 
I will test it for oh, you. Oh, I don't want you to test it for me. I want you to put that call through, whatever it is, at once. I'm afraid I cannot do that. You can't? And why? Why, may I ask? The dial system is automatic. Oh. If someone is trying to dial your number, there's no way to check if the call is coming through the system or not, unless the person who's trying to reach you complains to his particular operator. Oh, well, of all the stupid and... And meanwhile, I've got to sit here in my bed, suffering every time that phone rings, imagining everything. I will try to check the trouble for you. Check it! Check it! That's all anybody can do. Oh, what's the use of talking to yourself, stupid? <laughs> oh, I'll fix her. Of all the impudent... How dare she speak to me like that? How dare she? Your call, please. Young woman, I don't know your name, but there are ways of finding you out, and I'm going to report you to your superiors for the most unpardonable rudeness and insolence it's ever been my privilege in... Give me the business office at once. You may dial that number direct. Dial it direct? I'll do no such thing. I don't even know the number. The number is in the directory, or you may secure it by dialing information. Listen here, you... Oh, what's the use? Oh, dear. Oh, for heaven's sake, I'm going out of my mind, out of my... Hello? Hello? Stop ringing me, do you hear? Answer me. Who is this? Do you realize you're driving me crazy? Who's calling me? What are you doing it for? Now stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Hello? Hello? If you don't stop ringing me, I'm going to call the police. Do you hear the police? Oh, if only Elmer would come home. Oh. oh, let it ring. Let it go on ringing. It's a trick of some kind. I won't answer it. I won't. I won't. I won't even if it goes on ringing all night. Oh, you ring. Go ahead and ring. Stopped. Now, now what's the matter? Why did they stop ringing all of a sudden? Oh, oh what time is it? Oh, where did I put that clock? Oh, here it is. Five to eleven. Oh, they've decided something. They're sure I'm home. They heard my voice answer them just now. That's why they've been ringing me. Why no one has answered me. I'll call the operator again. Oh, where is she? Why doesn't she answer? Why doesn't she answer? Your call, please. Where were you just now? Why didn't you answer at once? Give me the police department. I'm sorry. The line is busy. I will call busy, you in... Busy? But that's impossible. The police department can't be busy. There must be some other lines available. The line is busy. I will try to get them for you later. Oh, no, no! No, I've got to speak to them now, or it may be too late. I've got to talk to someone. What number do you wish to speak to? No, but there must be someone to protect people besides the police department. A, a, a detective agency. A, a you will find agencies listed in the classified directory. No, but I don't have a classified. I mean, I, I'm too nervous to look at it. I, mean, I don't know how to use the... the I'll the, connect you with information. <laughs> Perhaps she will be able to help no, you. No, no! 
Oh, you're being spiteful, aren't you? You don't care, do you? What happens to me? I could die and you wouldn't care! No! <laughs> oh! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! I can't stand anymore! No! Oh! Hello! What do you want? Stop ringing, will you? Stop it! Hello, is this Plaza 42295? Yes! Yes, I... I'm, I'm sorry, this is Plaza 42295. This is Western Union. I have a telegram here for Mrs. Albert Stevenson. Is there anyone there to receive the message? Yes, I'm Mrs. Stevenson. The telegram is as follows. Mrs. Albert Stevenson, 53 North Sutton Place, New York, New York. Darling, terribly sorry. Tried to get you for last hour, but line busy. Leaving for Boston, 11 p.m. tonight on urgent business. Back tomorrow afternoon. Keep happy. Love. Signed, Albert. No! no! Do you wish us to deliver a copy of the message? No! No! No, thank you. Thank you, madam. Good night. Good night. Oh, oh no. No. No, I don't believe it. He, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Not when he knows I'll be all alone. It's some trick, some fiendish trick. Your call, please. Operator, try that Murray Hill 70093 number for me just once more, please. You may dial that number direct. <laughs> or what the expense is. I'm a sick woman. I'm entitled. I'm entitled. Information. May I help you? I, I want the telephone number of Henchley Hospital. Henchley Hospital? Do you have the street address? No. No. It's, it's, it's somewhere in the 70s. It's a, it's a very small, private, and exclusive hospital where I had my appendix out two years ago. Henchley. H-E-N-C. Uh, 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 One moment, please. Please hurry. And, and uh, please, what is the time? You may find out the time by dialing Meridian 71212. Oh, for heaven's sake, I've no time to be dialing. The number of Henchley Hospital is Butterfield 70105. Butterfield 70175. Henchley Hospital, good evening. Nurses Registry. 
Who else do you wish to speak to, please? I want the nurse's registry at once. I want a trained nurse. I want to hire her immediately for the night. I see. And what is the nature of the case, madam? Nerves. I, I, I'm very nervous. I need soothing. Companionship. You see, my husband is away, and I'm, I, I'm very, very nervous. Have you been recommended to us by any doctor in particular, madam? No, but I really don't see why all this catechizing is necessary. I just want a trained nurse. I was a patient in your hospital two years ago, and, and after all, I do expect to pay this person for attending me. Uh, we quite understand that, madam, but these are war times, you know? Well, uh, Registered nurses are very scarce, and our superintendent has asked us to send people out only on cases where the physician in charge feels that it is absolutely necessary. Well, it is absolutely necessary. I'm a sick woman. I, I, I'm very upset. Very. I'm alone in this house, and, and I'm an invalid. And tonight I heard a telephone conversation that upset me dreadfully. In fact, if someone doesn't come at once, I'm afraid I'll go out of my mind. I see. Well, I'll speak to Miss Phillips as soon as she comes in. And what is your name, madam? Miss Phillips. And when do you expect her in? Well, I really couldn't say. She went out to supper at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock? But it's not 11 yet. Oh, Oh, my clock has stopped. I thought it was running down. What time is it? Just 15 minutes past 11. What was that? What was what, madam? That, that click just now in my own telephone. As though someone had lifted the receiver off the hook of the extension telephone downstairs. Well, I didn't hear it, madam. Now about the... Wonder what I did. There's someone in this house. Someone downstairs in the kitchen. And they're, 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 they're listening to me now. They're... I won't pick it up. I, I'll be quiet and they'll think, oh, but if I don't call someone now while they're still down there, there'll be no time. Your call, please. Operator. Operator. I'm in desperate trouble. I'm sorry. I cannot hear you. Please speak louder. Oh, I, I, I don't dare. I, there's someone listening. Can you hear me now? I'm sorry. No, but you've got to hear me. Oh, please. You've got to help me. There's someone in this house. Someone who's going to murder me. And you've got to get in touch with... Oh, oh there it is. There it is. Did you hear it? He's put it down. He's put down the extension phone. He's, he's coming up. He's coming up the stairs. Give me the police department. The police department. Police department, give it to me. One moment, please. I will connect you. I can hear him. He's near. Oh, oh I, I hear him. I hear him. Hurry! 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 Police Department, Sergeant Martin speaking. 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 Oh, Police Department. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. I must have had the wrong number. Don't worry. Everything's okay. Sorry Wrong Number was written by Lucille Fletcher. This production inspired by the old-time radio play that aired on Suspense. Produced and directed by Fred Greenhalgh. Starring Christine Marshall as Mrs. Stevenson. 
Tootie Van Reenen as Operator, Craig Bowden as Man and Man 3, Philip Hobby as Man 2, Burke Brimmer as Chief Operator and Cop, and Barb Truex as Information and Nurse. Field recordist was Randall Farr, musical score by Barb Truex. This production was recorded on location in the Greater Portland, Maine area the summer of 2009. For more information on Final Room Productions and to hear more of our plays, including more old-time plays created in collaboration with the Mad Horse Theatre Company, please visit our website, www.finalrune.com. That's F-I-N-A-L-R-U-N-E dot com. To learn more about Mad Horse Theatre Company, visit their website, www.madhorse.com. All right, and that was a double feature, Final Room Productions, here on Radio Drum Revival. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Radio Drum Revival will come to an end at the end of October 2014. Unless you do something about it, um, you can help by going to our Kickstarter campaign. Um, just look for the Save Radio Drum Revival Kickstarter. Um, links will be in the show notes. And I'm serious, but we do have some cool stuff. You can get a sponsorship for the show uh, for as little as $150, uh, $150 US. Um, you can get a T-shirt, mug, or a sticker. So, uh, you know, please make it happen, folks. Save Radio Drum Revival on Kickstarter and um, <laughs> see what we can do. All right. Uh, see you next time. Um, regardless of what happens, we're going to keep our 300 plus hours of archives up at radiodrumrevival.com. Um, hundreds, hundreds of hours there um, based on genre and category. Stitcher, iTunes, still going to be there. Um, you never really get kicked off of iTunes, I don't think. Also, find us on Twitter or Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Radio Drum Revival. Twitter, find us at, at Radio Drama. All right, that's a wrap for this week. Radio Drum Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh. Copyright of individual shows remains to original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drum Revival originates in on air radio at WMPG FM, Southern Maine's community radio. This podcast at radiodramarevival.com is a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.